Good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. My name is Peter Kim. I got to serve as one of the pastors here at Seven Mile Road. That is a, a distinct privilege that I get to have that role. Uh, we get to have uh, a deep dive into just some light topics today. We get to take a stroll through the valley of the shadow of death. Just some, something light for us this morning. But truly, what we get to do together is we get to press forward into Psalm 23. And if you're anything like me, you hear that phrase, Psalm 23. You've heard it maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand times. And instinctively, almost, it's a, it's a rolling of the eyes of, oh, here we go again. We're going to talk about green pastures and still waters and through all the ups and the downs, the hills and the valleys. We just have to be a people that trust God. And I hope today that there is a renewed sense of fresh eyes that you have for this amazing psalm. Because last week, what Michael preached on, what he did an excellent job of revealing to us is this. In the first couple of verses of Psalm 23, we came to find that if the Lord is your shepherd, you will lack nothing. If the Lord is your shepherd, you will lack nothing because he goes before you. He's leading you. And I love there's this, that there's a summary phrase, this statement uh, what, in the passage that Michael got to preach last week, where David says, ah, the shepherd, he restores my soul. Now, soul is the Hebrew word nephesh, which is your life breath. That I know that you are an embodied soul because you are breathing in air and exhaling air. And so truly, what we learned last week is that the Lord, for your weary soul, he's, he's leading you, guiding you, holding you by the hand to rest, to finally catch your breath. This week, this week we're going to come to find that if the Lord is your shepherd, not only will you lack nothing, but you can fear nothing. You can fear nothing because he's with you, because he's near. Now, as we transition from last week's passage to this week, deep diving into Psalm 23 further still, I want to show this slide. There's this transition that happens in the way that David is so strategic the author of the psalm is so purposeful, he uses uh, two different words that look the same to the naked eye for us. That in verse 2, it says that he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That word leads. And then again, in our passage today, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. So to us, that looks like the exact same word in the original text. Those two are, are different very specifically and purposely so. That first word is a, uh, a word that is gentle in nature. It's as if the shepherd is holding you by the hand and guiding you to green pastures and still waters. Come here, come with me, find rest for your weary soul. The second word is more firm in nature. Oftentimes in the scriptures, it's translated into literally to carry you. So in the context of a shepherd, think this with me, it's a shepherd that sees a sheep that is injured or downcast, literally throw that sheep up onto his or her shoulders. It's firm. It's strong. It's literally to be carried. Now, I don't know about you, but to be carried uh, has a negative connotation. It means that you're needy. It means that I'm helpless. I've got to be carried. And I think it was God's humor it was this humor that this past week in preparation for this sermon, I was carried. Um, every Sunday now in the summer, I get to play basketball with some guys from Seven Mile Road. If you're interested, we'd love to have you there. And a week ago, I got to play, and uh, I did not play well. 
I have to confess, it was a poor performance on my part. Each and every game, we lost a couple in a row, and finally, we won a game, and I did very little to contribute, like negatively contributed to our team. Anton, however, I think I saw Anton. Anton, there he is. Anton over here was on my team. He's got a sweet mid-range jumper. It's, it's, it's exactly what we needed. He probably scored 80, 90% of our points that game, and I went up to him afterwards, and I said, hey, Anton, thanks for carrying the team. Appreciate that. We finally got a W. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for carrying us. That was the theme of my day last week. I got carried every single time we won, which wasn't a lot. And so, if you're anything like me, which I'm assuming you are, to be carried is humbling in the best kind of phrasing of it. It assumes that you are needy, that you are helpless, that you're not really contributing to the forward motion of what's going on here. We don't like to be needy, whether it's at work, on the project you've been assigned, where you have to get help because you can't do it on your own. We don't like to be needy within the context of our marriages, parenting, our financial situation. It puts us in a place where we feel exposed, like, ah, we're actually needy. We need help. What we're going to come to find this morning is that that's precisely what each and every one of us needs, is to be carried. Though you may not like it as much as I don't like it, the truth of the matter is this. It's exactly what you and I need is to be carried. In the valley of uncertainty, you will be crippled by your fear. Let me say that again. In the valley of uncertainty, you will be crippled by your fear unless you cling to your shepherd to carry you through. That's what we're going to come to find this morning. Each and every one of us have to be carried through the valleys of uncertainty. So let's dive in. Let's dive in. If you look with me in your Bibles at Psalm 23, the second half of, of verse 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I want to solidify at the onset here. What's instinctive for me is to view those verses as contradictory. Those statements feel opposing to one another. That how can God be leading me? How can he be carrying me in paths that are right and good while I am walking through the valleys of darkness, of suffering, of sadness and sorrow? How can those two things be true? The truth of the matter is this, that path, that path of righteousness, that word righteousness does not mean what's right in your eyes or in mine or in the, what's right in the eyes of culture or of society but truly what's right in the eyes of God, what is just in his economy. And in his economy, he recognizes that you and I living in a broken world, we will all inevitably walk through the valley of the shadow of death, each and every one of us. And that that is not polar or opposing to his carrying us in paths that are right. That though it may feel like that, and though we can all together here, if you are currently not in a valley, it's, almost, it's, it's easy for us to nod our heads and say, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. But until you are plunged into sadness and sorrow from deep loss, all of a sudden it feels like those two things cannot be true simultaneously. And I'm here to tell you at the onset, before we take any steps further, we all have to agree together that in God's economy, those two things are true. They do coexist. And inevitably for all of us, they will be one and the same. That if the Lord is your shepherd, you will walk through valleys of the shadow of death. The beauty of this, though, is that there's this key phrase, for his namesake. And so before we actually dive into what the valley of the shadow of death means, 
we have to take a, a collective breath together. Okay, what the psalmist is communicating to us is that even though the path of righteousness may lead to valleys, we can take it to the bank that this is on God's name. His leading us, his carrying us, it's, it's on his reputation. And if you study the scriptures for any amount of time, you recognize with me that God is most devoted, most devoted to his name, his reputation, his renown, his character and his honor in all the world, his glory. And if he is most committed to that, what that means for us in the context of this psalm is that your direction as one of his sheep, your direction and your ultimate destination are tied directly to his name. He will carry you in paths of righteousness. So I wanted to highlight that before we actually dive in. With that backdrop now, let's, let's try to come together to a conclusion as to, well, what is the valley of the shadow of death? What does that mean? What does it entail? Seven out of the ten times that shadow of death is utilized, that one word in the Hebrew language in the scriptures, seven out of ten times is found in the book of Job. And if you know the man Job, uh, you know that he suffered a lot. He suffered a lot of extreme, severe loss. His children, their families, loved ones he lost. He lost his livelihood, the means by which he was able to produce income. Not only that, he lost the trust and the rapport of his loved ones, his wife and his friends. All of a sudden, it felt like everything was torn asunder beneath his feet. That's Job's story. And time and time again, he is found in the valley of the, dark, of, of the shadow of death or the valley of deep darkness of deep darkness. And so what we can define together is that the shadow of death or deep darkness, that, that is the valley of uncertainty. The valley of uncertainty. Where you have suffered some extreme loss, some severe heartache, and it has all of a sudden, all of a sudden spiraled you to, to make you feel like you have lost any semblance of control. It's a sort of suffering where you feel like, what, what can I do? What could I have done differently? Is there anything that's going to change about the situation where you feel like there is nothing before you except more of the same darkness? It's a veil that covers you and you feel like it's never going to be lifted. Back in November, um, I experienced this sort of darkness, this sort of uh, valley of uncertainty. My wife and I uh, found out in November that our first pregnancy uh, ended in miscarriage. And I can't explain to you fully uh, the sadness associated with that. The going into the doctor's office anticipating only good news. And you'd think that uh, with all the experience that I've had walking with, with couples, with some of you who have, who have not just had one miscarriage, but two or three or four or five or six, and you'd think that I would have the wherewithal Right? To, to, to not be so naive to assume that everything's going to be okay, but to be very frank with you and honest with you, that's what I assumed. And so to receive that news and to, to ask, it felt like a hundred questions, all with the response of, we don't know. We can't explain what happened. You don't have any control, and neither did we. What that led to was, uh, were days and weeks and even months now of uncertainty of emotional state, uh, our emotional state was so uncertain. And thinking about the days where my wife and I, we would go from laughing and smiling and enjoying people's company, our own company, and then all of a sudden, like a flood, she would burst into tears uncontrollably. 
and not knowing fully what to do, but just to be near. It's, 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 it's those moments where will this ever stop? Will it ever get better? You see, it's these types of valleys where the loss of a loved one, the loss of an expectation that you had held so close to your heart, maybe the loss of, of a relationship or the ways that you had so assumed that your career would take you here and there and now all of a sudden you're jobless, where all of a sudden everything beneath your feet feels like it's, it's crumbling before you and you have zero control of the situation. And you think about tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month and you don't believe it's going to ever get any better. All you see is darkness. That's the valley. That's the valley of uncertainty. And if you've ever ventured there, if you've ever walked through a valley like that, you know, you know that your sorrow and your sadness are always accompanied by fear. By fear. See, the truth of the matter is that the psalmist knows it too. That King David, as he was running from the man he served all his life, running for his life, as he lost children to death prematurely, as he, uh, as he was chased and hunted down by one of his own sons, he's experienced these valleys, and so he knows with real familiarity that this type of valley, this sadness and sorrow, is always coupled quickly by fear. The very next phrase, I will fear no evil. He's trying to rehearse it over his own heart. I wish I could tell you this morning that, that I lived this out really beautifully. That today I'm standing before you and I fear no evil. That would be a lie. It'd be a lie if I told you that, uh, that my wife and I now being pregnant, again, by God's grace, we're expecting a child at the end of this year. And I wish I could tell you that, that there's no fear in the system. That we don't uh, end up in tears because we're worried. We're, we're all of a sudden experiencing the fear of the, the questions that fear love, loves to ask. Those unanswerable, persistent, and unrelenting questions of why did it happen and will it happen again? This sadness you're experiencing is never going to get any better. You see, fear loves to grip us in that way, to ask demandingly those questions that feel unanswerable, that, that make us feel stuck. That the only place forward is, is more and more darkness and sadness. This, will this ever get any better? Could it happen again? See, David's experience through the valleys has given him an awareness. I need to rehearse over my heart this concept of fear, this persistent, unrelenting voice of fear that demands a response to unanswerable questions. Why will it happen again? When will this get any better? I love that David, as he contrasts this shepherd who leads us towards catching our breath, and carries us to paths of righteousness, he contrasts that with fear. That fear, the voice of fear too, will try to lead you. Fear will try to shepherd your soul. And the good thing, the thing that fear does, that, that he does so well, is to convince you that all the answers to those questions are hopeless. It will never get any better. You will always wake up with sadness. You will continue to to, to have sleepless nights filled with anxiety and nervousness. No pregnancy will ever be safe. No hope for your future. C.S. Lewis once said that uh, no one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. See, what C.S. Lewis and King David both know 
because they've been through valleys of uncertainty, is that when you experience extreme severe loss, when you grieve deeply, fear is right there next to it. The voice of fear will cripple you. It will leave you feeling stuck and hopeless. I told you, a light, light topic today. Light topic today. Again, I wish I could stand before you this morning with solutions. I wish I didn't have to tell you that just a few days ago that my wife and I were teary-eyed, anxiety-ridden because we didn't know because fear was whispering into our ear over the course of the night and throughout the day that these same unanswerable questions. I wish I could have an outline. Uh, I don't have one in in front of me like this. I wish I could have an outline with three steps, perfectly alliterated. Like all starting with the same, you know what I mean? Like when it just hits really hard because they all start with the same letter. I wish I could have that for you today. These are the three simple steps to take, and finally you'll be free of fear. The only thing I have for you this morning is a plea. All I've got is a plea that I am desperately trying to put into practice too. And it's by God's grace that I've uh, been assigned to preach this passage in this psalm because fear's unrelenting voice The persistency of the lies in my head that keep me up at night. Will it happen again? You have no control, do you? Why did it happen the first time? When I feel the crippling nature of fear, this psalm is pleading to me, convincing me, having me me rehearse over my own heart. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, the invitation for you and for me, if you are in the valley today, is to cling to him, to cling to the shepherd to carry you through the valley. You see, this is the same same exact shepherd that holds your hand, that leads you and guides you to finally catch your breath by green pastures and still waters, to finally find rest for your weary soul. This same shepherd that David talks about, goes from a a shepherd that is before him leading him, he, he is leading me, he is there to you. You are right there before me. There's this critical shift in the psalm where the shepherd becomes he to you. It's this masterful transition that only happens if you go through the valleys. That in the spaces of severe loss, in the moments and the seasons where fear cripples you, That is the very place that God, the shepherd, draws nearest. It's when he draws close. I love that David, in another psalm, when he's uh, subdued by the Philistines, Psalm 56, 8. Psalm 56, 8 reads this. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? What David recognizes as he's in the middle of another valley yet again, he's experiencing yet again another instance where sorrow and sadness are all around him, where fear could could cripple him. And what does he say? He puts pen to paper and he writes, you count every every single night I can't go to bed. Every single time I toss and I turn. Every single time I sit up because I don't know what to do next. I don't know how to help my wife do this. I don't know how to help myself for crying out loud. Every single time you toss in bed. He counts it again. 
and he counts it again. Not only that, every single time you've got to rush into the shower to try to hide the uncontrollable tears from your spouse, yet even there, even in that space, he's counting again every single tear in his bottle. Are they not in his book? The only way that a God, that God could, could be that, to be that uh, accounting of your tears and of your tossings is if he's that close. If he is so near that he is counting another tear, another tear, another tear. See, I, I need this this morning. I need it this morning because I need to know that when I'm at my worst, when fear attempts to cripple me with its voice that is large and looming, I desperately need to know that, that, that my God is closer right now, that he is near to me now, that he's willing to carry me through even now. To lighten the mood here, I want to show a quick video. This is a, a video of my niece. That is Charlotte Faith Quo. Look at her. Uh, there is nothing I wouldn't do for that little girl. She's a year and a half, and uh, the truth of the matter is, <laughs> uh, we can stop playing it. I mean, I've watched it, <laughs> I've watched it a couple hundred times. I don't have to put you through that. I, uh, the, reason I, I, the reason, though, I love that video is the fact that Charlie has no idea where we're going. She has zero control as to all the bumpy roads and the heights because the sidewalks are pierced through by roots of trees. She has no idea what's in the path, on the path before her. All she needs to know is that when she reaches out her hand that I'll be there to hold it. That's all she needs to know. That the very same person that would guide her to rest, to catch a breath, to green pastures and still waters, the very one that would run before her to, to carry her through is the very same one when she is filled with uncertainty, with no path before her that's discernible. All she needs to know is that that hand is still there. You see, this is the heartbeat of a child. This is also the heart of a sheep that trusts in their shepherd to be so devoted to you, to count your tossings, to count your tears in his book, that he is that close. All you need to know is that he's still there to carry you through. That same shepherd that will guide you to rest will also carry you through the valley. I love the fact that, uh, that David concludes this, this verse, that as he has transitioned to you, as God has drawn near, his shepherd has drawn closer in the midst of the valley, he goes on to say, not only are you with me, as my shepherd, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He expounds upon this shepherd illustration, you see. You see, a rod for a shepherd was used for protection. It denotes power and authority. If there was a wolf that would be lurking, he would use it to, to, to fend it off. The staff was different. The staff was used to support the sheep, to lift one up if it was stuck somewhere, to, to help one that was hobbling. It was a staff of support. So you've got a rod of power and authority in one hand and a staff of support and sympathy in the other. That's a shepherd. That's our shepherd. And if the Lord is your shepherd this morning, even in the valley of uncertainty, you can be assured that there is one with a rod of power and authority and a staff of support and of sympathy. And what he will do is comfort you. Now, uh, comfort, I feel like in, in the church circle has become, 
not cheesy is the wrong word, but maybe, maybe overplayed, that in the context of valleys, oh, like, you just need to be comforted by God. It, it almost feels frail, but I hope that this helps you in this moment. It's helped me this week. That word for comfort literally means to breathe heavily or to sigh deeply. Now, if you've ever been consoled by a friend when you can't help but cry uncontrollably, what, what does a good friend do in that instance? They draw closer. They, they hug you. They pat you on the back and they tell you, breathe. Just breathe. Or when you share your sadness and all the things that have gone awry and all the fear that attempts to cripple you and they just can't help but sigh. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. That seems hard. That is the type of comfort that we're talking about. That the very same way that God is guiding you to catch your breath in green pastures and still waters is the same exact shepherd that is carrying you to breathe, breathe normally again. I'm here, I'm near. Within that context of comforting, it, it is required that he is near to you that he is proximate to your pain. And so how can we be sure? How can we be sure that this shepherd will carry us through all of the valleys of uncertainty? And the simple yet profound answer is this. That 2,000 years ago, the Son of God went through a valley for you. And not only did he go through a valley of the shadow of death, he went so far, so deep, that he was willing to carry every single one of your sins. That for all of humanity and for all of mankind, he was willing to lay upon himself the iniquity of us all, is how the prophet Isaiah talks about it. The iniquity of all of humankind in all of human history was laid upon him upon a tree. That it's almost comical, it's, it's absurd that, that he went through the valley of the shadow of death on Calvary's hill to be publicly shamed and scorned as he bore the full weight of your shame and mine. And you see, Jesus' heart was broken that day. The way that theologians talk about it is that he didn't die of physical pain or the nails that pierced his hands and his feet. He died from a broken heart that as he carried the full weight of your sin and mine, that a father that had loved him for all of eternity past for the very first time looked away. Had to expound upon him the judgment and the wrath that all of human sin deserved. You see, this was a valley of uncertainty for Jesus. It's why he, he cried tears of blood. It's, it's, it's why he was so anxious the night before because he knew he was about to enter into a valley of uncertainty a space he had never ventured before. And so the assurance for you and for me, if the Lord is your shepherd this morning, the assurance for you and for me is that a blood-stained cross and an empty tomb are the signs and the symbols for you and for me that he has gone to great lengths. He has traveled through the valley of the shadow of death, through the, through the gravest valley of uncertainty that, that you might never have to. We might never have to go there. And so surely, surely if Jesus was willing to go there to that place, surely he will venture with you. He will draw near to you in every single one of your valleys. Surely he will do that. 
He is that committed to carrying you through. And so all I ask this morning, all I ask this morning is that if you are in the valley of uncertainty, if fear is striving to cripple you, my only plea, my only request is this, cling to him. Cling to him. It's what me and my wife are trying to do today. We're trying to cling to him, trusting that he will carry us through. Amen. Let me pray for us. Well, Jesus, I want to thank you this morning for, um, for the fact that you are our good shepherd and that even in the context of heavy topics and sadness and sorrow, God, I do pray that what would be true for each and every one of us that counts you as our Lord, that considers you our shepherd, God, that we would have a miraculous level of trust of you this morning that we would look at your track record and realize how stunning it is, that we would remember your sacrifice, the ways that you were willing to carry so much through the valley of uncertainty on our behalf. God, help us believe without a shadow of a doubt that even in sleepless nights, you are counting our tossings. That even on days where we can't hold back the tears, God, you count every single one of them in your bottle, in your book. God, help us believe in your nearness and help us be convinced this morning that your nearness is our greatest good. God, for us who are uh, in the room and we are not in the valley today, help us recognize today that, that the valley is coming, that life is chock full of them. Lord, I pray that we would all be equipped by the power of your spirit and by the truth of your word to cling to you right now, to allow you to guide us, to catch a breath and continue to carry us to breathe deeply alongside of us. Thank you for your nearness again. And so God, as we respond in worship, I pray, Lord, that we would come to you with a heart that is longing to draw nearer to you. Thank you for being a shepherd who draws near to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.